It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman month here on the Comics Pals. We are the aforementioned Comics Pals, and we are here to talk about one of the most revolutionary and controversial Superman books of all time. We're here to talk about John Burns Man of Steel. And joining me, Sean, today to talk about this book are none other than the rest of the pals. We've got Kale. What's up, super dogs? Marco. I'm the bird. Tyler. I'm about to go on a plane. And you guys listening, we appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. Let's get right into it. So this book, John Burns' Man of Steel, came out in 1986. It was actually published from July to September of 86. Uh, written and drawn by John Byrne. Dick Giordano provided the inks on this one. Uh, Six-issue mini. And of course, John Byrne, legendary comic book writer and artist, and by this point had already done some of the biggest work that he would be remembered for. I mean, you know, you're looking at his first run at Marvel, where he did incredible things like X-Men, Fantastic Four, Captain America, She-Hulk. So Byrne was already, you know... Uh, in the upper echelon of creators and yeah exactly and by the time that he was approached by the uh the legendary Jeanette Khan and others to join DC and work on Man of Steel uh things with Marvel were a little bit there were a little bit uh the relationship was a little bit tense there was some tension we'll say um and so once he signed on for Man of Steel the Marvel relationship was rough and no big deal because DC was promising him the world. He could do anything he wanted with the Man of Steel. It was time for a reboot. This is coming hot off the heels of, of course, Crisis on Infinite Earths. And at a time where lots of characters were getting things revamped and rebooted about them. Notably, this is all, also around the same time as Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen. This is something that I found interesting. This is the way that Superman books were being talked about right around the time of Man of Steel's release in 1986. John Byrne appeared on the Today Show. Picture that. Picture a comic book creator on the Today Show. It's pretty cool. They're usually relegated to late night nowadays. Right. I don't even know if I've seen the Today Show. (laughs) And... This is the way that the, the, the TV reporter introduced the segment. She said, quote, A midlife crisis for the Man of Steel? Plummeting comic book sales have been more damaging to Superman than kryptonite. That's why the folks at DC Comics decided it was time to give him a new look and attitude. Damn. Hmm. That's 1986, guys. It well, first of all, '86 was cooking like like <laughs> in terms of comics yeah. that year. It's like Jesus. Um, but having read this, uh, I was I, in in my head. I was like, well, what did he change? Because this is just so what I understood Superman to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had to like reconfigure my brain to be like, oh yeah, there's obvious things that are obviously different now. Out, out reading this, um, but it, it's it's huge how big that would have been even back then but yeah but i'm sorry it's just but it's interesting that 
I feel like the book doesn't provide you with a before or after. I mean, that's for the better. Um, cause I, I think, and when, when we had had our, our Patreon hangout, um, uh, this past week. So, uh, for anybody who's participates there, um, that was sort of the conversation about kind of surrounding the book was this, this was the new sort of normal for the character. And, um, if anything, uh, after reading it, you kind of realize, oh, actually that's cool that that becomes a standard. That is how influential this was that it now permeated a whole generation of future readers and future people who now consume Superman. This is the idea that they have in their head and that's lasting. It is, it is lasting. Um, and not to everyone's pleasure. Mm. And that's one of the things that I found so interesting about this book and its legacy. Uh, thank you, Amin Perez, for joining the channel membership uh, as a as a Comics Pal sidekick. You're a VI pal in my mind. Thank you so much. Love to see you using the pals heads in the chat. You guys, you guys know how to join up with the membership. Just click that join button and uh, you know come hang out with us on that side of things. So this is a very interesting book to me. And this was my first time reading it. You guys too, right? Confirmed. Yeah, I think this is the first time yep. for all of us. With the content of it, you wouldn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what the guys are expressing, I think, is the crux of what makes this book such an interesting book to read, aside from the quality or lack thereof. We'll get to that. It very much feels like a, a nexus point. For Superman, in yeah. that if you were if you started reading Superman after this, regardless of whether you've read this or not, this is text. This yeah. is what it is. This is the red letters in the Bible. This is what this is. It's the the last Jedi sacred text. Yep. But if you started reading comics before, or if you read if you read Superman before this then in a lot of ways, this will feel, could feel, like a bastardization of a lot of the qualities that the character had before and the vibrancy of his supporting cast and the kinds of adventures that he would go on because Byrne cuts all of that away. Before this, you had Supergirl, you had the uh, Crypto the Super Dog, uh, you had kryptonite literally everywhere. Kryptonite was just all over the place. Different versions too, like gold that gave you a giant head or something like that. One of them turned Superman gay. It was weird. <laughs> Don't forget, um, I, I think it's Comet, Supergirl, Super Horse. Mm -hmm. yep. Yo, what? Yeah. And and this was the cast of characters that would surround him in any given book. Sometimes, uh, yeah. Well, were... I think the I think the super horse was probably relegated to <laughs> uh, uh, super you know girl. super girl, sure. but right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, John Byrne got rid of all of that, um, and a lot of people were frustrated by it because for a lot of fans, those were the elements that they grew up on. You know, Superman as a character wasn't really deep. You know, uh, Superman, I think it's important to look at the way the character was utilized at that time and his supporting cast. Superman was kind of like a a bachelor. He had a lot of he had a lot of different love interests and angles, and he was flying to different planets and doing all these different kinds of things. And it was zany and wacky. But if you were a kid in the 70s reading that, it was probably a lot of fun for you. 
Wasn't he, wasn't he into a mermaid at one point? Yes. Yes. There was a mermaid. Yep. Wow. I was, um, how did you guys read this? Curiously. Digital special collect edition. So I've got the the hardcover volume one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you read the foreword by John Byrne? Wow. That's sure did. Yeah. The, the 91 foreword by, by Byrne, it was written 91, was really interesting because it kind of um, set the stage for what Superman's general, like the general idea of who Superman was at the time, especially for Byrne who grew up in England where it was, it was black and white mostly for him. Uh, it was the George Reeves Superman is what he remembered seeing. And it wasn't until he, got his, he moved to Canada and got his hands on a comic book did he realize what the colors were. Um, and there's a there's a there's a good distinction that he mentions in it where he didn't even see the S on the on the chest of the el- emblem as an S. He viewed it in the negative space, like he thought the yellow was what you had to look at, or, or rather the uh, yeah the yellow is what you look at instead of the red. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like, and then like it wasn't until like maybe like the Superman movies with Christopher Reeves that things start changing. But that's such a wild like mindset to put myself in because I have such a pre-established view on the character that I saw throughout this this six issues. Yeah. So before we get a little deeper, because there's still I think context is king with all this stuff, especially when we're looking at books that are older than us, right? Like we can't feel what it was like to be there, but. Thankfully, there are lots of people who are there, interviews and things like that. And so we're going to dig into all that and talk about this book and our feelings about it and everything else. Real quick, I want to say thank you to everybody who is watching us live, who is watching us after the fact. Um, This podcast is supported by you all, our patrons, our channel members. We thank you. We appreciate you. Uh, we've got lots of stuff going on over there. In fact, it's Superman month here on the Comics Pals, and you all voted for this to be the book that we cover this month on the book club. We're going to get to how next month is going to go and how our process is changing a little bit to be uh, a little more fun for you all. So stay tuned for those answers here in a little bit. Um, I want to talk a little more about the changes that John Byrne brought to Superman. Why this was so revolutionary at the time. So one of the most controversial aspects of this book is Krypton. We see Krypton and it is, for for people who were reading the, the books before, it is a complete redesign. So Byrne talks a lot about how Krypton was stuck in the Flash Gordon-inspired look that it had for the 50 years prior to 86 when Byrne worked on this book. And he wanted to modernize it. He wanted it to feel modernly alien. Um, And of course, now we look at it and we go, oh, this is typical. But for readers at the time, this was very different. Um. Of course, he also made a lot of changes to the way that Krypton would go away, would explode. He made it so that kryptonite was already inside of Krypton and that the people were dying to that. 
John Byrne mm-hmm. wanted to go so far that he wanted uh, Super Clark's mother to, and by, when I say mother, I mean biological mother in this case. Laura. To, Laura, thank you. To be the one to travel to Earth, not, not Clark, not, you know, Superman. And Whoa. that she would give birth to him on Earth and then die of kryptonite poisoning. That'd be wild. What would that do to him? Oh, true. Yeah, he'd be technically gestating like that. Probably but... saved by the sun. Mm, sure. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That sounds cool. And I, I think the what, what I felt from the opening pages was space opera. It, it felt a little um, like Star Wars-y. And so it's interesting that you say, you know, um, Flash Gordon, because I can imagine what that would look like, a little more swords and sorcery in space, as opposed to, you know, the the the, the metal and the um, the wires are all, all over the place. That also feels more of the era of that kind of, um, of that kind of book. And, and from an art perspective, you know, I, I think it, it really flourished and it helps to make that space look very regal, which I appreciated. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's an interesting way in, in which you change that. But again, that feels staple now. And yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, on this, is that Byrne also made it more science-based and more cold as yes. well to differentiate humanity of this humanity of Superman and the Kryptonian part of Superman as well. So... That's a that's absolutely true. And I think as you evaluate this version of Superman and the differences, and again, why it was so controversial, Byrne wanted there to be a clear separation between Clark and his origins, you know, on Earth and him as a Kryptonian. And those being two different things. So And and this is a lot of what people had problems with as well, because they felt that Byrne was going so far as to remove Superman's immigrant immigrant status, because, again, as I mentioned, his original plan was to make it so that he was birthed on Earth. And Jeanette Kahn told him, you know, nah, let's not do that. But what she came up with as an alternative to please John was the idea that he he still is in a rocket ship alone that lands on Earth, but that he's in a gestation pod. And so he is still born of Earth in this book. Right. I mean, yeah. it, it's also evident multiple times in the book how Superman says, I'm an American, I'm an American. Like, guys, did you know Superman's an American in this in this book? <laughs> well, and and it's, re- it's really funny how he thinks he's Russian. I see, you know, they they were worried that, you know, he was a uh a space oh. baby from Sputnik. Russia. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and when he discovers his powers or whatever, he's like, Oh, thank God I'm not Russian. But th- that's interesting that that became the the thought because that, that that was different from what I know the experience to be he's born and then placed into the the rocket ship so that felt different and and that was at the very least i'm like oh maybe they updated it from therein so but it looks like there was some appeasing happening um 
and then uh, sorry quick shout out to Flo Dameron for the super chat here he's he's come to pal around and what a what a book club to do so thanks so much for joining in thanks Flo <laughs> appreciate you buddy check out the Bada Boom podcast as well they've got some great interviews and things up there um yeah so burn wanted to do things differently and again the immigrant part was something that really bothered a lot of people and he's been asked about this a lot of times over the years um and his answers are still pretty controversial although i think um i, I think you'll understand better when i read so here's what burn has said uh quote well i'm an immigrant so i understand what that's all about to have been born in one place but grow up in another he went somewhere else and became something he never could have been on Krypton. I think that's true. I think it's a fair sure. answer, yeah. I also think it's worth pointing out that Byrne himself is an immigrant. He went from mm -hmm. uh, being living in Europe to moving to Canada and then spent the rest of his years you know, in, in the U.S. So he's been around the block. That counts as an immigrant, yeah. He he said he also said, um, <laughs> "Oh boy, uh, here we go." That's 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 how I imagine a John Byrne quote to start. <laughs> this is this is the juicy stuff. Clark would be proud too of his Kryptonian heritage, but later portrayals of him have tried to shoehorn in too much of the psychobabble of adopted children longing for and seeking out their biological parents. Excuse my French, but to me, they fall under the heading of ungrateful little shits. Uh -oh. Clark grew up as human, thinks as a human, reacts as a human. He lives and loves as a human, and that is what really defines him. Psychobabble. There so, he is. There he is. So, <laughs> so John Byrne was an immigrant, but he definitely knows who his parents were. Word, yeah. My man was not an orphan. <laughs> yeah. So how does that, obviously you guys had your own interpretation while reading, whether you thought about that part or not, but with the context of what he said, does that change your view of this iteration of Superman as it relates to his, you know, heritage and whatnot? I mean, I think for me, it tracks. I think I was more like the idea of him being born in on earth through like a gestation pod or whatever it was um that threw me off because i don't remember that i think that gets retconned in the secret origins uh where you get the more traditional looking spaceship thing yeah um so that was new to me that was a new old thing for me um but what i really more harped on was like oh of course he's going to be talking about how he's an american uh it's cold war like that's where my mind was going um but at the added context of like as it more of like an immigration thing is, is an interesting take, although I don't really agree with uh, John Byrne's second quote there. Is 86 still Cold War? The old heads might have to help us out here. I'm uh, pretty sure till 90. Weren't you stationed during the Cold War, Kel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was, you know, I was freezing the whole time, so. Sure, yeah, it's hard to tell time. <laughs> yeah. Eight, 89 is the uh, uh, official ending of it, yeah. Okay. I the it's funny the ge, the gestation pod it never even occurred to me that that was anything other than just a rocket like oh. I know they call it a gestation pod but it's like 
to me, it was just like, oh yeah, that's how you would send a baby to another planet. Like, so that, that was the compromise to like have him born on the planet. I find really interesting. Just going to interrupt the discourse real quick to say thank you to Bodger Bailey for the $10 super chat. I think Superman smashes the clan handles the balance of Superman's heritage and his earth upbringing. Thank you so much. I actually have I read that? No, I did. I did. Yeah, we we did. had a book club about it. We yeah. talked about it. Yeah. yeah. That was, was really good. good. A yeah. long time ago. You can probably find that book. book club in your podcatcher somewhere if you want. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that uh reminder because I haven't thought about that book in a while, but you're right. It's a good hero in art. Gorgeous. But I, I, I think I think my thing with Clark wanting to know or not wanting to know about his, you know, his biological family. I don't, I, I mean, unless we read different books and we'll get to it, but I don't feel like that was explored very much here at all. The totality of it is what Pa Kent smashing a thing with a shovel. And it was like, yeah. all right, well, yeah, whatever that was I, is gone. <laughs> oops. Yeah. <laughs> There's my real dad right there. Hmm. I, I think it recontextualizes the very American stances. Um, but I feel like that's about it. Uh, I think that end, though, to that point, um, it, it, it looked like he had this all of a sudden burning curiosity. So I, I like the way that the, the, the end of the... I like the way that it, this ends because it feels like it puts forward a bunch more questions and maybe I'm viewing it from the perspective of, well, he's going to explore more and he's going to learn the language and he's going to try to get information out of that. Um, but I didn't necessarily read it as, and, and he was having his own existential crisis. I read that as I'm curious and I'm open, but I'm definitely, you know, of this group. That, that is the identity. I believe Byrne also tackles Krypton a little more in subsequent volumes. If I'm yeah. to be believed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. It's just, yeah, the way this book, this issue, you know, this arc ends was very sudden. <laughs> like, I I went back to see if there was more, to see if I missed something. Maybe Marco's subscription to DC Universe uh, lapsed, and I couldn't get the next one. <laughs> Yo, the, 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 it just ended, right? Like, last it page. Was, that was it. <laughs> yeah, it was so weird. That's, that's why I'm like, well, I mean, his his statement of, you know, his 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 adoption or whatever, like, I don't feel like I got much of that at all in this. Mm. The ending felt like the ending of a G.I. Joe cartoon. Yeah. 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 Some cool poses and Fr that's freeze it. frame credits. Yeah. So I, I guess reading through it, I was surprised. I was very surprised by the changes to the origin because we all know enough to know that he's born on Krypton like traditionally so seeing that that wasn't the case really surprised me and then you know the very heavy on I'm an American I'm born here like this is who I am I'm a human was surprising to me because I feel like that's not really reflected in modern Superman comics mm. um so I was caught off guard by that. And I guess a little turned off. It's not that it doesn't make sense, especially when you think of the time period. 
Yeah. But because Superman already existed, this is turning the clock back on all of his progression in knowing about his Kryptonian heritage. So, of course, it's going to be shocking for a reader then or now to read this time in Superman's history where he sort of just doesn't care that much about it. I was surprised. It's not that it's bad necessarily, especially when you consider the context. It's just different. Yeah, it it doesn't define him. And that feels that feels like a miss for the Superman I know now. Yeah. By the way, uh, just wanted to say thank you again to everybody that's watching us live. See all your comments. We're going to dive deeply into your comments once we get through our initial presentation in a sort of talk back with you all. Um, we want to we want to read and dissect everything you guys have to say, especially those of you who have thought about this book for years. I love that. I love the idea that there are those of you out there who have read this book, dissected it, and have so many opinions. We want to talk back with you all. They were in the uh, mental gestation matrix there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> thoughts on this book. Fermenting. Let's talk about another one of the big changes to this series, and that's uh, Mon Pa Kent. Jonathan and Martha Kent have a very interesting history that I didn't know about. So first of all, they haven't even always had those names. They didn't even have names at first. And they've gone through many different iterations of names. And um, Jonathan, I think, was at one point was named Eben or something of that nature. So they've had Martha was Sarah. So they've had all kinds of different names. It ruins the whole I think I've heard Sarah before. Yeah. And they always die right after Clark graduates from high school. Oh. Yeah. They're, they're older already. They're older than, than they are here. And they die to a disease that they contract on a vacation. That's how it's always gone. Um, And so you never, if you're a Superman fan from back then, you never really got to see them outside of the Superboy series that came later where they were supporting characters. But like mainline Clark doesn't have active parenting. Um, And so John Byrne made them a little younger, spryer, and he keeps them around. They don't die until, I mean... John dies later on, but Martha is around all the way through until the new 52. When obviously her and John are killed in a car crash, but like um, all that is like there, she's there until 2011 from here. So I think what, what throws people off about that is the fact that this is a book that's supposed to humanize everybody involved superman the god doesn't need parents right he's got everything together he's got he's all powerful and everything else john burns superman in man of steel is slightly depowered which we'll get into later but also has parents people that check in on him make sure he's okay help him come up with his costume like they're very active in this book and also, like, editorially, it made sense for them to die in a way because it would differentiate the different versions of Superman that were publishing at the same time. Because you could have kid Superman and mom, pa are, are, are characters there, uh, but with Superboy. Um, and also have Superman where they're not involved because that's a separate book entirely. Um, so this, I like the idea of them continuing with him as he grows up. 
because I think that continues to like current Superman, who's a father now, and like that history follows him throughout his character, uh, publication history. And I think it makes it so interesting, so much more interesting that he's not just a face in Metropolis, you know, that Clark Kent isn't just a face in Metropolis. Like he does have a rich backstory, you know, and he, he's got problems and he's got, uh, 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 things he has to figure out along the way and just like a good country boy his family is there you know to back him up and i think that's one of the things that i have to imagine like lois finds interesting about him because she has like no interaction with her father because her father you know jumps around military bases and you know um, is a general or whatever, and and I think that also does another another uh, uh, key part of humanizing him too, because like I think it was it's issue one after he does the the first appearance of Superman where he's just wearing <laughs> Hal Jordan's costume, um, and he goes home and he's like crying and he's upset. I thought that was a really good really good bit of of this whole miniseries. Uh, because like everyone wants something from him now and he's overwhelmed and like that the man of steel it becomes like a boy again because he goes home to his parents and he has this real vulnerable moment um that you don't get if mom and pa aren't around it's a good point he has a he's a place of like respite you know he can get away from it all and and, and that's what the you know the the countryside is and and I think it, it keeps with that theme also, just like you're going out to the country. And, and the, the last issue too, he's like, I'm I'm finally making my way back. You know, it starts with him in Smallville, and then it goes, it ends with him coming back to Smallville because he needs time for that reflection. He needs time for that, um, for just uh, like to get away from things. Um, mm-hmm. And it makes, uh, I think it makes Smallville a bit of a character, which is interesting. Metropolis is its own character in, in that way, but Smallville also becomes kind of that. Yeah, I I really loved the Ma and Pa Kent inclusion. I think that them as supporting recurring characters makes all the sense in the world. And I don't know that, you know, I don't know that they need to be Alfred level, right, where they're always around. Although, as we talk about this, Alfred is not alive. I'm sure if you're listening to this, like, in a year, he will be. But, um, you know, they make a lot of sense to be, of a presence in his life. They're a part of what grounds Clark to earth. And I think that that's essential. It's hard for me to imagine that it wasn't always like that. Right. Like, isn't that kind of strange to think about? Well, then I remember, uh, Pa Kent and the tornado and I remember, okay, Pa maybe wasn't always around, <laughs> uh, but yeah, just the idea of a, fam- a family to go back home to. Yeah. Yeah. So, in trying to make a, a a Superman, a Clark Kent that was radically different, John Byrne looked to the past. He looked to George Reeves, like Tyler talked about earlier, because that ver- you know that the George Reeves version of Superman was not wimpy. You're going back to like Golden Age Superman. He looked to Golden Age Superman and that portrayal of a guy 
who is very powerful, maybe not all powerful, although Golden Age Superman is pretty busted, but like maybe not all powerful, but very powerful and doesn't take shit from anybody. Uh, not a jerk, but quote from Byrne, a no-nonsense kind of a guy. He was not a wimp. He also took a lot of inspiration from Dick Grayson, which I thought was pretty surprising. So at the time, Dick Grayson was a kid in school uh, that was, you know, he was athletic, but he wasn't a wimp. He wasn't treated like he had to hide his abilities from the world to the degree that he would let himself get bullied or anything like that. Uh, There's a quote from Byrne. He said, he was always like the second best guy on the hockey team or football team. He wasn't wimpy. He wasn't wearing glasses. He was almost as good as Robin, but he wasn't as good as Robin. He go ahead, Tyler. No, keep going. Cause I think there's, there's some allusions to Batman that I got through this a lot as well. Well, it's just more on the idea of a relatable Superman because, again, sales were sales were down the toilet. And a lot of DC's idea of why that was was due to his unrelatability. And so Johns wanted to bring his power level down from some of the absurd feats. At that time, Superman could move planets. Mm-hmm. And this one can't. So John uh, uh, Burns said, quote, nobody has ever wanted to push over a dam, but everyone's wanted to tear a car door off and save somebody. He's mm. Superman, but he's not inconceivable. We can relate to what he does. And this would have been, correct me if I'm wrong in my timeline, Sean, um, right around when like Batman Family was being published, right? Um, uh, a little later. Or, 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 but at least where like, I mean, not much different than current day DC, right where there's right. just a lot of Batman books. Um, because that's what sold. Uh, anything sure. with Batman in the title, so I can see maybe even narratively taking bits of that and putting it to a, towards a book that wasn't selling as much makes sense as well. But I think adding to that that larger point of it being you know an unrelatable character, having that kind of power makes you distant, makes you cold, and you know that that's not that's not a fun read necessarily. You know you you want to be able to. I think I think going back to the um, they all wanted a piece of me that that you you want that you, you want that vulnerability the the invulnerable man being vulnerable. Yeah, I think I think that's probably fair to say that Superman was just unrelatable because of how all powerful he was, and there wasn't a focus on making his exploits relatable to the people that were reading the book. Superman is aspirational from a power standpoint but also from a character standpoint and i think seeing him use his powers to rescue people like average everyday old ladies or you know rip a car door to save a child like those are things that you know are just slightly out of your reach you know ripping a car door off like you can't do that but like you could conceive of a world where maybe someone could but you can't conceive of a world where a guy can move mountains and so he's I think, a, yeah, go ahead, Marco. No, uh, he's only as strong, you know, as a locomotive. For now. Sure. For now. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about what you guys 
actually thought of the story because it's only six issues. Obviously the man of steel book would go on for multiple volumes. And um, you know, there was the team up between burn and Wolfman and other creators um, on action comics and things like that. So there was a lot of collaboration. Uh, but what do you guys think about this six issue mini itself? It's well crafted. It's well paced out. Um, I, I don't think that there are any low moments. I don't think they're very high highs. Uh, it's a very steady and even keeled book. The arts, uh, I think the art in particular for me is probably the the biggest sell. It's excellent. Um, but the the way that Byrne can linger on things and meditate on them is is fun. So for for me, this was a it was an easy read. It was a breeze to get through. Um, I think overall a well constructed comic and a a story that did what it needed to do in terms of communicating information to you, but also communicating a personality. So for me, um, I'll admit, like the first issue, I had to get my bearings a bit, um, just in terms of like the way it's it's you know it's very wordy. There's a lot of exposition and stuff. It's just it's a book of the time. Um, but once I think it was like halfway through issue one, I kind of studied myself and then I really enjoyed it going forward. Um, I thought I'd like the way that it time jumps through every issue. Um, like we go, we go from childhood to, um, at least past year one as being Superman. Um, so there's a lot of time covered in this and I think it, I think Byrne does a very good job of selecting the specific moments in Superman's career and life to decide to make these changes and to showcase it. Um, I think there's not much in the terms of like conflict, really. Um, it's a very introspective piece. So the most conflict we get is uh, a bit of a mustache twirly Lex Luthor in the background. Um, but there, and, and like a bizarro thing where bizarro might've actually been a good guy this whole time. Um, so there's not much there in terms of the meat of that, but I, I really liked it as like just like a piece of like this is a super this is Superman going forward. This is a a um kind of a synthesization of who he is as a character. Um and the fact that it really hasn't changed too much since eighty six is impressive. And this is like the blueprint for how I view Superman. And also like I'm just a big burn guy in terms of art. Like, Burns, Fantastic Four, and X-Men are what my dad gave me uh, as a kid growing up. So there are some of my, like, his art is some of the first comics I've ever read. He was the first comic book creator I ever knew of, was John Byrne. So I do have a soft spot for him, and being able to see his, you know, distinguished competition work uh, was refreshing to see. Yeah, yeah. Burns art is just it's always great it's always a, a real pleasure to see i thought this was fine <laughs> like i to be a i had trouble looking back and reading this as like a uh a, you know a a piece of history from 86 um it's cool to read, you know, the origin of Superman, and I can see how some of that stuff was 
um, landmark and it was, you know, uh, uh, special. But for me in 2024, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale do it better. Mm. Because, like, you know, I, I, I just feel like we, it, it's, well-grounded material that to me everything else has been based on like even the first issue felt like the beginning of the superman movie like i i closed that issue and went wow i felt like i just watched the movie um and that's not a bad thing but it's just it's sort of just straight across the plate I didn't particularly feel much of anything for it. Oh, it was good. It's certainly good comics. That's about it. I think for me, um, so I really liked aspects of it more than I would necessarily say I loved the whole of it. I think the whole of it is pretty strong, and I'm sure if this was coming out, and if I were alive in 86 and an active comics reader, this probably would have been my jam. Um, I mean, it goes without saying Burns art is absurdly good. It, it really, really is. And one of the things that stuck out to me so much, aside from the incredible Superman design, is the fact that his Lois is stunning, but has a harder edge. She's always dressed uh, very stylish. And it's like Byrne actually took the time to make sure that she looked good but also practical like she doesn't mm. look absurd in her dress you know even some of the body language is is a little masculine too with lois uh-uh. like she man spreads yes. anytime she sits down there's no like dainty crossing of the legs really very butch which burn actually says he got a lot of hate mail for um she <laughs> he said that uh he got hate mail because he stripped he according to his fans or the the writers in uh he stripped away her femininity and i'm reading this book and i'm like what the hell are these people talking about For but real? i guess you know times change this is lowest to me so i don't understand yeah what the difference is that's hard for me to wrap my head around she she was always like this spitfire you know, like, like, like she, she, she came onto a panel, she came into a page and just like, she was the character. And I think, I think, uh, Byrne did a really good job of being able to have her be so strong and lead so well. Um, the, even the moments in the, in, in the, the cruise ship, she whips out a fucking machine gun. Da, 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 da. That yo, was crazy. I'm like, yo, this girl's wild, bro. Like what? And, what? and, but I think it's, it's cool. Um, it's cool because she never feels like a damsel in distress. She puts herself in that situation in the, in the first case to get the story, right? Like she's willing to go as hard as she needs to for the story. And she'll put herself in the more stereotypical position, but is never that. She will never allow herself to be that. And it's nice to see that a, a, a writer won't allow her to be that because she isn't. And it's also a contrast to the hyper-feminization of Burns' X-Men run. You think of like Emma Frost, mm. all fishnets. It's all kink wear there. You know, it's hypersexualized, um, and it's built into those characters. Um, 
I think he's regressed since, but <laughs> it is. Uh, it, I, I liked Lois in this. Uh, you mentioned the uh, machine gun part. I'm like, yo, give that girl a book. Push her. You know, like I had wrestling brain. Like push her to the moon. That was cool. Um, and like that's the lowest I know. Yeah, and and I I think it was cool to see a lot of the concepts that we know and understand to be a part of Superman's history where they're established. Um, but in a way, it doesn't feel like a story as much as it feels like these are the things that I have to establish now for the future of Superman and the things that will come later. And that's where I think I had the most trouble. Loved Mom Pocket, loved Lois. I loved Clark for a lot of in a lot of ways. Um, even Lex. This, which I want to talk about Lex because this is a big departure for Lex. Um, some of these aspects were on the way to being introduced in comics that came before Man of Steel, but. Uh, this is definitely a different Lex than is typical. So uh, John Byrne talked about how um, Marv Wolfman actually is the one who came up with this version of Lex. And huh. it's a it's a it's a very interesting story. If you guys are if you guys will indulge me, I'm going to read from Byrne's words on Lex. I, th I think you guys will find this compelling. Marv Wolfman was offered the second share on the Superman relaunch to write action comics. Um, Marv called me to discuss something he had in mind for Lex, a fix he had been working on in his head for several years. Before he would tell it to me, he had a couple of stipulations. One, it must be all or nothing. Either I accept this proposal in its entirety or I take nothing from it. Two, if I decided I did not like his version of Lex, he would decline the second share and would have to find someone else to write action comics. I agreed to these terms. Then he told me his version of Lex. Quote, outside Metropolis on a high mountain in his palatial Xanadu-like estate lives Lex Luthor, the world's rich richest man and his mistress, Lois Lane. Hmm. Burns says no. He doesn't want to do that version because it includes Lois as Lex's, you know, love interest. Side piece. Which is funny because in this, Lex is pursuing Lois. She just yeah. turns him down. But Byrne says no. Wolfman says, hey, wait, we can do this without that, without that inclusion if you're still down. And Byrne agrees to it. But um, uh, things don't end up going so great, ultimately. Mm. Uh, so Burns said, years later, I found out Wolfman got paid a bonus for his creation of the new Lex Luthor, something that somehow no one at DC thought necessary to tell me about. After a most unsatisfactory first year of collaboration, Wolfman's contract was not renewed. And I took over writing adventures with Jerry Ordware during a fair amount of plotting. So I hey, can't win them all. Yeah. <laughs> Lex Luthor and money strikes again. This Lex was was modeled after Donald Trump. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah, they pulled a lot from uh, Donald Trump, Ted Turner, Howard Hughes, Satan. Satan. What's Probably the nicest dude out of that list. I know. Right? <laughs> he, he was 
a little over the top. I love the ego because it was a good foil. It, it was a really good foil. It makes him not necessarily like mustache twirly, but it makes him like the a good guy to hate. Like, oh, this guy's just being a dick because he's like, when he whips out the check, he's like, yo, Superman, you're on my, you're on payroll now. Like, wow, this guy's just an asshole. Yeah, I, I appreciate him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, he just has this gall. It's like, a, uh, like and, the and, rich kid in an 80s summer camp movie. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's willing to to be a little absurd and, and a little over the top for the sake of his own, uh, of his own ego again. Uh, and yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think that's that's great in contrast to Superman, who's just like, I'm just out of here, you know, doing what's good for the world. And that seems laughable to Lex. And this this also retcons Lex and Superman having known each other as children, or or Lex and Clark having known each other as children, I believe. Mm. I, I think the old origin was they knew each other as children, and then <laughs> as Superboy, uh, he accidentally causes Lex's hair loss. Uh, that is the origin of, of of the hair loss thing, and I never liked that. That sound that always felt too coincidental to me. The fact that Lex and Clark knew each other growing up, I like the idea of Lex is a pre-established character in Metropolis. That Superman is the odd one out going into, and then he has to adjust to that. And that's a that is a thing that he has to learn about and, and it's part of the real world and joining it. I prefer that and I like this version of Lex. I don't like how he has hair. I know bald Lex is not the original thing. I prefer bald Lex and I think he eventually loses all of his hair in this. Um, but uh, I thought this was a fun, kind of a little a little goofy Lex too. But mm. I, I like the Lex in this. I think this was during a time when, you know, hating rich people was the thing and would continue to be the thing and Lex being not a mad scientist, but just a rich billionaire dude who doesn't really care about anybody makes him easy to hate. I mean, he's not very different than Vince McMahon, you know, to Superman stone cold, Steve Austin. Um, he's a, literally a perfect foil for Superman. I just feel like he's not, um, he's sort of dumb here. Like he gets thrown in jail because he just admits to his culpability in this whole scheme, uh, which I didn't get, but it felt like Byrne just needed to wrap that up sort of clean. But, but I think it's also be believable that it's ego. Like this is the first time he's really being called on his shit. And, you know, this is, this guy uh, is going to make Lex put up or shut up. Yeah. Mm. And when Lex freaks out, though, and he uh, discovers he's an alien, like that is the progression of what Lex becomes in modern day, you know, the savior of Earth because he is human. Um, that those seeds are started here, um, at least from what I can tell. I, I, I love the art and I love the the moments, but I think the script is not amazing. And that's that's my thing about uh for all seasons is it has like a real emotional core because it you know the that that book is very similar to this one in that it's glimpses of you know superman's early career but it sort of hangs its hat on you know this this uh growing emotion you know 
uh, with whoever it's following. Whereas this just, it's just comics. You know, it's just straightforward, just formulaic comics. It's snapshots too. Like there's no real thread in it mm. besides Superman existing. Mm. Uh, there's no real narrative thread, um, which I can get not liking. Because what's the what's the arc? <laughs> Is there one? Yeah, that's a good that's a good way to frame it. I, I was just thinking, I'm like, well, it's fine because it's an arc of a thing, but I'm like, you, not really. It's just stories in in, in succession. Hmm. Each issue has an arc, sure. Right. Um, but in my head, like a mini series is something specific. You know, it, it is a series of books that form a bigger piece, um, which this isn't. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I feel like Man of Steel is often mentioned a a alongside books like The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen. But I don't feel like it should be. I think it. I think it is because of its adjacency to those books in terms of like the time it was released in. Um, and also the fact that Byrne was attempting to do something that was revolutionary, just like what was going on with Batman at the time. But in terms of like the ambition of the story um, and there actually being a story, I don't feel like they're too similar. And I think that um, I like I'm I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if this run gets a lot better later, but I think just just evaluating these six issues, uh, great baseline, but it's missing, you know, heart. Yeah, yeah. Kill okay, what you say, heart, heart. Okay. Uh, I can see the comparisons, um, only because I think. It, it took the major beats that you know of a character and try to do different things. Uh, when I was thinking through um, Dark Knight Returns, I mean, you get you know the uh, you get the Joker, you get Harvey Dent, and you get these big players that are part of the history and part of the mythos, and so you get to play your little spin on them. Um, even playing with the origin, right? So like I I, I see those comparisons. But I think what loses me when I was going to push back on, but I think I agree after talking about it, was that through line. This doesn't have that. And so you're just really trying to make individual statements on, if you are even trying to make a statement on characters. This is who this person is related to Superman right now. This is their introduction into his life. And then issue seven, we can move on. Sure, exactly. Right. I guess. It, it, yeah, it, it, it's unimportant. I think the thing though is that if you look at if you look at Batman Year One, which is also contemporary to all of this, mm. that takes Batman and does all the revolutionary stuff, but it does it within the confines of of, of a complete story that yeah. yeah, it's complete unto itself. But obviously, we are aware that more will come after. This we know more will come after, but this doesn't feel complete unto itself. And it, but it was billed as a mini, so it doesn't feel like it does the job of a mini. 
it feels like it does the yeah. job of a first issue or of a first arc. Yeah. And even, and maybe... even if it did that, I wouldn't say that it was like, I think it's successful in ways, but not in terms of like, okay, yeah, issue seven is going to be like, I can't wait to see where we go next. I don't know that that's the feeling I have. And I think a lot of that is due to the abruptness of the ending as well. I think the most story we get is that Bizarro issue. There is a full line and plot and antagonist. Uh, but it's well, quick. the Batman issue too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just um, the formatting. I, I I can see the the critiques of that. Yeah, for sure. The 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 issues are are complete unto themselves. Yeah, it's I, just yeah. that they they don't all work together. They tell individual narratives that are moving across the issues, like Lois. And her relationship with Superman, and you know, blah blah blah, Superman and his parents. But those aren't those aren't like that's just like life progressing. Not does that make sense? Like, yeah. I, I also felt in each individual issue, I felt okay. This is what's changing about Superman. We're re how we're reestablishing it. This is the issue uh, with his relationship to Batman, and that's reestablishing that. This is the issue where Lex Luthor's in it. That's reestablishing that. I was seeing the the blue lines under the art in a way in terms of the creation of it like yeah um, you can see like, the gears turning exactly yeah. yeah and it's like all right this is the objective let's tell a story within that i liked those stories within i think um some really fun character pieces but as a whole yeah there's not much together to weave them all uh, but, but i think i think that that's the storytelling of the era is you're telling the story for the issue, you're not telling it for the arc. And I think this is a moment where for... No, no, that's, no. Ra that's radically changing in this era. Yeah. Radically changing. Well, because this is the same year uh, uh, Daredevil uh, uh, Born Again comes out, the same year Batman Year One comes out, Watchmen. It is, the change is happening. No, 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 but I'm saying this is stuck in that. This is not that. This is, I'm telling a story for the issue. I'm not, it's not contributing to a story for the arc. I think what we, what we're thinking you're saying is that this is how it was at the time. No, 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 no. I, I'm saying this is a style and this is that style that is being, that we're seeing here. And Burn is stuck in that. And Burn is stuck, is that correct? He's revolutionizing Superman as a character, but using the same storytelling tropes as the previous. Of the yeah, previous okay. era, yeah. Which is bizarre. Because Byrne himself, <laughs> Byrne himself complains about the fact that Jim Shooter told him that they needed to do one-and-done stories at Marvel when he was right in the middle of a three-part story mm. on Captain America. Everyone complains about Jim Shooter. So, <laughs> Well, okay, yeah, but the point is that he complained about a thing that he was doing really well and then didn't do it here. But maybe that was, it had to be a deliberate choice at that point. Do what you know, uh, I guess. <laughs> the Batman of it all. Batman's got a, a a quick shot in here, one issue appearance, um, which I don't think I liked actually. Oh, I love this Batman. I yeah, I liked it. Well, maybe not the Batman, but I like the inclusion. I I mm -hmm. heard Diedrich Bader's voice in this from Brave and the Bold Batman. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and that's that is I, that's, a, a slice of Batman I love. That's interesting, Marco. I I I really love the Batman, but I 
I think I I disagree. I don't like the inclusion. Mm, okay. What, what what did you like about this Batman? This is a Batman that I uh this is a version of Batman that I really enjoy. He is uh he's clever and he's quick and especially when he's um up against Superman in these first, you know, these first appearances, he is uh he's done his homework. Mm. Um and I think I think the thing that really that really makes me like him is that he to sort of test who Superman is is he's sort of ready to sacrifice himself, you know, with the the little bomb trick. Yeah. That was cool. And that's how he tells Superman who he is at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a that's a really clever device that works in a lot of different ways. I also think that that costume um, was just incredible. That costume is rad. The blue? Yeah. I, I, I hmm, okay. As you as you explained it, the the mechanism of that I think shines a bit more. Um, I can I can appreciate that. But I think for his inclusion, I think I I, I guess I kind of feel like it doesn't. Ooh, what were what were we just talking about? It may have been the last book club. We were talking about something that escalates. It was Dark Knight. Each yeah. issue escalates, you know, where it's Batman fighting himself, and then he's fighting uh, Two Face, and then he's fighting the government, and then he's fighting Superman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this feels like it kind of wants to do that, giving little snapshots of different things. But I don't know. It just him leaving metropolis to go to gotham felt weird it felt like a like a filler episode of anime like like a side mission that kind of threw me off on the flow of the mini i also just i think the 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 trappings of this first meeting didn't do anything for me as well like okay so superman says that batman's a vigilante but you're a vigilante. So yeah. what is the problem with what Batman is doing? There's no thought to that. It's just he exposes the 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 hypocrisy and then doesn't think about it anymore. And he just has to stop Batman because reasons, but then they obviously team up and everything is fine. Um it just it just feels fluffy and that's what I don't like about it. Even the villain yeah. is forgettable. There's nothing to me memorable about this. Well, Mark Mark Wade will never forget Magpie. <laughs> the the I, like I think the, the inclusion was yeah it, it is from that perspective of you're participating in the DC universe and you're participating with one of the other big pillars. So for yeah. me, may, maybe maybe I thought of it as like, well, of course you're going to include Batman in in the same way where um, Born Again you toss in Captain America because of course you toss in Captain America like the 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 inclusion of the character is separate from the story and is part of the mechanism of of comics that's that's how i kind of thought
thought of it, which is why for me, I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. That this is happening. And this is fine for me that this is happening. Mm. Amin asked about my thoughts on Bizarro and uh, we should talk about the character. Absolutely. Who does appear in one of the issues created by Lex, which I thought was really interesting because, you know, we've seen like sometimes that's the case. Sometimes that's not the case. Um, so I thought that that was kind of interesting. Um, I liked it. I liked it. I th I thought it was really straightforward as per everything else that's presented here. Um, but it's got a little twist at the end, which I liked. Like yeah. Bizarro's actually sort of doing the right thing or trying to in his in his bizarre way. I, I liked it. It was it was bizarre cool. way. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I uh I uh really I, I I guess I've always thought the definitive origin of Bizarro was that he was made by Lex. And so as I was reading this, I was extrapolating to Bizarro World and I went Oh, I wonder how they got there. <laughs> and it just like, I gave it no more thought than that. <laughs> so funny in a way too, is like, I remember reading Fear Itself where Lex creates Bizarro in that. Uh, uh, Forever Evil. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. I forgot. I got my uh, weird villain themed events of the mid 2010s mixed up. Um, and I hated that in Forever Evil. I was like, oh, that's something so dumb. Why would he do that? And I realized, oh, it's a pre-established thing already. <laughs> Reading this, I'm like, oh, I <laughs> did not know my history. Uh, I still don't care much for it. I do prefer him being like an alien from another planet. Um, that's I... my preferred version of it. Also, he had the most like Edgar haircut in this book too. Uh, it was like straight from like su like Superman, more like Supercuts. Uh, it was a really bad haircut <laughs> in this. But uh, uh, I, I, it, it was fun to have a villain in these six issues. Uh, so even if it was bizarre, I was like, fine, I'll take it. Cool. Yeah, I, I think I think having the inclusion of uh, of Bizarro to just kind of like fisticuffs with Superman was fun. It was a good pace breaker where everything else had been, you know, uh, Lois in distress. Then it was the um, then it was the Batman issue. Like this was a good little beat, which I appreciated. And I had this, I had a similar thought, Kale, but I worked backwards. I'm like. Wait, we get bizarre world from this? Like, how does how does that make sense? Like, for him to create, does he create all of them? What's going on here? So, at first, I I, I thought it was gonna be Cyborg Superman. I'm like, yo, that's crazy. And then it turned out he got all white and pasty, and, and I'm like, oh wait, this is a little weird. Um, so the, the inclusion was interesting, and I agree with Tyler. I don't like that origin. That's that doesn't feel. It doesn't feel like what I know the bizarre character to be, um, but that's just showing you know my lack therein of uh, how wrong you are. That's as, exactly exactly as a right. person. Exactly, exactly. I wanted to quickly talk about Lana Lang as we near the end of the presentation, just because uh, Lana's an interesting character to me. The first time I ever cared about Superman, Lana Lang was the love interest and that was on smallville yep which bears a lot of similarities to this to this man of steel story um because in that 
Clark is a jock. He's a he's a, a football player. His parents are alive. Well, he's in high school at the time, so I guess it has that Superboy uh, connection as well. But you know they're alive and they're alive, I believe, into his college years as well. Um, so loved all that. Loved Lana Lang. So I was happy to see that she was here. But the way she was used was different than what I'm familiar with. And actually, she ended up being one of my favorite characters because she represents Clark leaving, you know, the old world behind and the damage that he is that he has caused through his decision making in that vein. He exposes his truth to Lana at the same time that he's preparing to leave her. They've been friends, you know, love interests all these years. And he's like, hey, these are all the wonderful things that I can do. He flies her around. He shows her the world, everything else. And then he takes it away from her by leaving her behind. It it was very much uh, Aladdin, I can show you the world. And then he ghosts her. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it shows that he's not immune to damage. You know, he he plays everything with kid gloves, even Bizarro, you know, to a degree. But, you know, he's not. He's human, not perfect. He's not perfect. And I thought that was unfair of Lana, like that, that she she built this whole life and future and then like uh because it, she didn't agree with the end result that um uh like she she carried she carried it around typical man hell <laughs> my man's been divorced <laughs> cuz i'm i'm like i'm like yo you can't just like pin that on him like that's like like he he does that mean that he's beholden to your decision as well like that that's not fair uh, oh man my man's never grown up in a town of a hundred people where your best friend is the person you're gonna marry. That's how it is, dog. <laughs> but 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 then it's like, but then it's also if you love him, right? He's going to, he's gonna see he, him prosper. That and and she when when she felt the the kiss on the forehead and was like, oh, you know, I'm, I, you saw me as as a friend and as somebody who's like like that love is still there. It's just not romantic. So what she's reacting to is the fact that he exposes her to something that she could never in her wildest dreams, oh, maybe only in her wildest dreams, imagine the ability to fly, the ability that the, the idea that that people can be more. He opens her up to that and she thinks, oh, my God, this is this is the rest of my life with this man who is all of these things, but also loves me. And then yep. he strips that from her. Yep. I think if he had just said, hey, I'm going to go live a life in Metropolis, she would have been able to accept that. But the fact that he's Superman and she's the only person outside of his parents that knows that and she doesn't get to be happy with him, that sucks. And, and I think I'm right in this, too, is that like Lana Lang's character going forward is searching for that. Yeah, radically changed by yeah. it. She gets superpowers multiple times randomly. Well, and I think she goes, she like travels the world, you know, I, I don't know why I'm stuck here, but doing like mission work and stuff. No, oh, yeah, yeah. Almost like Lois, except globally. 
rather yeah. than metropolis centric. Yeah. I thought this this comment from John Byrne from 2005 was pretty interesting regarding Lana. So he said the following quote. If I had really had the free hand some fans are convinced I did, I would have dumped Lois altogether and brought Lana back as Superman's one true love. But mm-hmm. there were some things that had to remain invaluable, and one was the Superman-Lois Clark relationship. So I did the best I could to justify Lana's position in his life, a position that was imposed not by any sort of internal logic, but by the simple fact that Superboy and his supporting cast were created years after the debut of Superman. I, I thought that that quote was pretty interesting because on the one hand, as it, as it relates to Lana, he's essentially saying, you know, I I I love Lana Lang. I think that the Lana Lang character is great. And I think that it makes sense that for Superman to be with her, that makes sense. But that's not what's supposed to happen. Yeah. These characters were created after Superman was created. Superman was intended. There was no intention on the part of Siegel and Schuster for him to be with Lana because she didn't exist yet. So he has to fit that in and also stay true to what people expect, what DC expects, which is Lois. In a way, after I read that comment, um, it recontextualized the low, the Lana and Clark moment. It was almost like I like, you can imagine that same scene happening, but him then saying, and I want to show you the rest of the world and I want to experience the rest of the world with you forever. And that's his relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So you can hear from the quote I just read that maybe Byrne isn't as uh, happy with the way that the Man of Steel thing went, as some might believe. And that turns out to be true because he has some pretty harsh things to say about the experience. And so I'm going to read you first a quote from the 2000s and then a quote, a more recent quote. First, DC hired me to revamp Superman. And then immediately chickened out. Mm. They backed off at the first whiff of fan disapproval, which came months before anyone had actually seen the work. During the whole two years I was on the project, although nothing happened that was not approved by DC Editorial, there was no conscious support. They even continued to license the previous Superman. At one point, Dick Giordano said, you have to realize there are now two Supermen the one you do, and the one we license. Seemed counterproductive, to say the least, since far more people saw the licensed material. After two years of this nonsense, I was worn down. The fun was gone. So what he's talking about is the fact that inside the books, inside his book and the connected books, the Superman you got was the John Byrne version. But outside of that, Superman was still the version that existed before, the Kurt Swan design, which was legendary and used uh, constantly, Um, the trappings of Superman. They were all everywhere that Superman was visible except the comics. But as we all know, far more people know about these characters from their outside exploits than they do 
from the comic books. That hurt Burn. Yeah. And so years later, when asked what he would do differently, if he could, he said this. If I could go back in time and whisper in my ear when Dick called out and said, put your money where your mouth is, I would say no. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do the whole thing. It should have been one of the most pleasant experiences of my life, but it turned out to be an endless pain. Partly editorial, partly other writers, partly the powers that were, it was a death of a thousand cuts. Finally, I said I'm leaving, and I look back now, and I wish I hadn't done it. Yikes. I mean, that tracks for Burn. <laughs> tracks for a lot of creators. Yeah. Tracks for yeah. DC. At, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a shame when you don't let the creative tell the story, because then you're going to dilute the art. And that's probably the biggest issue, right? Is like his truest sense of what needs to be delivered is it's going to be watered down so diminished and that's that's probably the 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 biggest shame there well but to them you know what needs to be delivered the company line you know sure but to that to that uh that statement it was months before like like the full thing was not there so you're reacting to something that is partial you're not reacting to the full story and is that a fair criticism of the work? Uh, and is that a fair reaction to the criticism of the work? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, Chad is talking about Burns' track record of, you know, leaving angry from different positions and things like that. And look, everybody's living their own life and you know in his mind he's been wronged and 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 things have not gone his way on a lot of these projects i did a lot of research for this and i found burn saying a lot of very positive things about various experiences that he had working on different books but it does also seem as though you know at dc you had the kind of editorial oversight that left him feeling burned out um and we also not know burned out. <laughs> oh my god we also know you know, what Alan Moore's experience was at the time. And a lot of people give him the grumpy old man rap, but we know that that wasn't, that that's not fair. So my question is, is it fair to do that to burn? You know, if these are his experiences that he says are what happened with shooter with DC, is it fair to just call him a, a grumpy old man? We know what Moore's experience was. That's yep. my thought. To be fair, they call him more a grumpy old man too, or a grumpy old wizard. So <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But then but the but but the conversation and narrative around more has changed. Sure, yeah, yeah. So maybe we should relook, you know. Yeah. I just think since then Burns said some very anti-inflammatory or, or inflammatory things. So I think About people what? Are, I don't know the specifics, but stuff that would get you canceled nowadays. Oh, all right. But yeah. I'm talking about his that, Sure, sure. I just think that's why less people are more keen to nowadays i guess come to his defense that's my only thinking on it i don't particularly think people are rushing to alan moore's defense either i've only seen it really recently honestly yeah like it, it's it, when we started this podcast 
the conversation around Alan Moore was very different than it is now. And I think it really started to change when DC did the Doomsday Clock stuff and then the Watchmen TV show after that. Because people felt that he was being violated. Um, but, but to close out our portion of the conversation on Man of Steel, it's very easy for me to see, despite my not absolutely loving it, I liked it a lot. I didn't love it. But it's very easy for me to see both why this was so popular and game-changing and why so many aspects of it have been adapted and remain true to this day in the comics, but it's also understandable for me why this was so controversial. Taking in the context of the historical aspects and everything else, I can see why this would have bothered fans of Superman. But I like to think that it's because of this book that we've gotten so many amazing Superman stories since then. And so for that reason, I say thank you, John Byrne, and I, for one, am glad that you did do this book. Even if you're a grumpy old man about it. Jesus. <laughs> All right, we've got a lot of comments. You guys have been blowing the comments section up. A lot of you watching us live, thank you so much for tuning in. We're not done. Because we want to hear from you all. We're going to read through your comments. We want you to talk back to us. If you've got things that you want us to address that we didn't get to or, you know, material that might be additive to our conversation, please share it. Super chats are always welcome, and those will be the comments we will absolutely get to. So um, if you guys see any comments that you want to pull out, please do share them. And then also, when this segment is done, we're going to make a huge announcement about the future of the book clubs that I think you guys will really like. So don't go anywhere. Got a couple on uh, Burns um, ad uh, adoption quote. Uh, Dan says, as an adopted father, I don't agree with the second statement either. And then Amin says, as an adopted individual with limited contact with my biological family, I empathize with Burns' message. Some people can become overly obsessed with heritage. Mm. I I had a friend who, um, you know, she was adopted and, uh, she was not obsessed, but was going through the motions to find, and and that was important to her. the The history and context was important for her, even though she was raised here, is American and otherwise. And but that that little bit of ambiguity is enough to 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 put a fire under you. I mean, isn't burnt burnt? So burn is coming from the, the perspective of an individual who is an immigrant, but is not adopted. Right. Whereas, so his perspective, what he's talking about is people who are adopted. He's talking about people who are looking for that parentage, their true parentage, their true heritage. And I think it's a bizarre statement to say that there are ungrateful little shits for wanting to know the truth of their history. I don't think that, that 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 seeking that out is a negation of your love for the people that raised you, who you probably do consider your parents. But I also don't think it's strange to want to know about your history. It, it, it's like being of uh, like mixed heritage. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm American, but I'm also Ecuadorian. I'm also Puerto Rican. I have different contexts. I can play with that. And my, my identity can fluctuate in uh, 
you know, in whatever degree it needs to. And some days I feel more, some days I feel less, but the totality of me is that hodgepodge. And I feel like that, that dichotomy between Clark and Superman quickly was dropped after this in terms of like, I think Superman would, Oh, you know, the, the Kryptonian part of him would be something he would always look into later on. And I wonder if that's one of those things that piss off burn about his run on this. And one of those things he's mentioned is being dropped pretty quickly. Uh, but oh no! Before I get to that, uh, Atomic Hound dropping a twenty dollars super chat on us. Thank you so much, Atomic Hound. Really appreciate you, buddy. He says, regardless of how John Byrne feels about his time, I will be forever grateful he did it. This he did it. This changed Superman for the better for generations. And and for those of you who don't know, Atomic Hound is someone who was there at the time. So his perspective is that the yeah. Superman line character stories got better after this and um yeah who am i to dispute that i wanted to actually point out one of uh badre bali's uh mentions here um he he pointed out he said um we also lost superman's connection to the legion of superheroes which ruined the legion's timeline they're hurting its sales and i believe legion was one of the highest selling ones did you mention that kale in the chat or something? Uh, I didn't, but okay. um, yeah, it, it was is true. New yeah. Teen Titans, Legion, and I think Swamp Thing uh, were massive at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And you're the Legion head out of us, Kale. Um, out of I, us, yes. Yeah. I've, I've never cared for Legion. Uh, and the idea of Superboy being in Legion was foreign to me because this was my definitive version of Superman's origin. So the idea that, oh, he was Superboy at one point, he did outer space stuff, that was just like, no, that sounds stupid to me. Um, I I think it's silly. And I, I, I tend to have trouble sort of reconciling it. But it's never not welcome. I, I don't know what it is. It's, it works. It plays. I... I... I am I have very limited history with Superman, but for some reason the idea that he was Superboy at a time bothers me. Mm. Yeah, I get and that. I, and I looked into this too, because they tried having DC tried having their cake and eating it too, with adding Superboy still into Legion, but it was through some like Apocalypse of the uh adventure. the the yeah. time like uh like rip rip hunter and stuff, and those time people were like throwing him in a bubble sphere of time that it wouldn't affect the main and it was like, all right. Too much comic books, chill. Well, and and I think I think sort of uh, a a more modern retcon is that he he spent time as Superboy, but the Legion erased his memory so that he wouldn't remember that. Why uh, is DC always jumping through hoops for these things? This is why they have it. crises. <laughs> yeah, because there's just so fucking much. Uh, there was a, a comment here from Gavin, uh, currently uh, artist on Superman seventy eight, and so I, I I'd asked him a question on just you know what what from Burns art here stands out for him. Um, one of the things he mentioned, you know, he he likes his uh, he loves his his figure work, fan of that classic type of rendering, feathering shadows. He draws huge hands though, and. Uh, after he made that comment, I was looking through some of the pages, and I can kind of see it. They're very, 
just like strong and they're they not that they're not necessarily um in proportion seemingly but they they definitely stand out and you can see like kind of the the definition of them so it's always good to get a a perspective from from that art end so i appreciate that gavin yeah the art in this is crazy good yeah um a lot of times i feel like i have to look at older books artwork through the lens of remember that this is old Mm. but this just feels timeless and Mm -hmm. it's classic but certainly not in a way that i mean that as a negative it's just beautiful it's crazy good his superman is absolute like that's definitive to me yeah i think for me burn is like number two next to luis garcia lopez in terms of like what i imagine superman is in my head and they're from like the same era you know so it makes absolute sense yeah uh let's see if we've got a few more comments we want to tackle there's one on um lois lane and um the the difference between the silver age versus this this era and roboters and dan here we're chatting a bit um Robotter starts. Lois was very was very romantic, head in the clouds, and the Silver Age, pining for Clark, pining for Superman, um, and uh, it was it was bad. But that was a lot for for Lois fans, like the transition into this. And then Dan responds, pining for Superman was no longer her number one character trait. He brought her back. He being Burn brought her back to what she's supposed to be, and um, that being a character trait of Lois. I can't even imagine. Like I can't. I I couldn't even visualize her her doing that. And someone down the line even even says um, the Lana and Lois pining for both, kind of like a, a Betty and Veronica type thing. Yeah. yeah. Again, that's it, it, incredulous to me. Like like there's no way. It, one of the little twists I like that Burn does in this too between that dynamic is that in a way Superman's the one pining for her because Clark Kent's pissed her off. She yeah. does not like Clark Kent for stepping over her uh, in terms of getting the story. Um, and Superman's the one that's kind of fighting with it internally. He's like, I like her, but how do I do this? You know, I don't want her to see me as Superman. And like that almost uh, teenage high school girl uh, crush mentality is then projected onto Superman rather than Lois. Badger Bally said something that I really wanted to touch on. Quote, I feel the last son of Krypton concept is an interesting concept, but it works better as a temporary status quo as it takes away potential like the Phantom Zone criminals. So I am very, very much in the camp of last son of Krypton. I think that like if it were up to me and it obviously clearly is not, I don't think there should be any other Kryptonians unless he has a child. Because I think it takes away from the idea that Superman is singular. I don't like character clones. I've said that a million times. So to me, a Supergirl, a Superboy, a Super this, that, and the third, it removes the singularity of Superman. And I think he's not as interesting when you know that there are other people who can be like him. The Phantom Zone criminals, I mean, the Phantom Zone is in like a separate place, right? So I think you can you can get around that. But the fact that there are other survivors of Krypton's explosion has never sat right with me. It's always been a barrier of entry for me with the character. Even like Brainiac, Bottle City of Kandor? Those, well, okay. 
but they're not brainiac is not a kryptonian right he's not sure. a, he's a, yeah. so and then the bottle city of candor is like you know they're they didn't survive Krypton. Sure. and you'd, you'd erase yeah. supergirl from existence if you could um, I wouldn't do that now because I think that would hurt a lot of people. But sure. yeah, in terms if of if I establish, yeah, interesting. It, it's awful convenient. <laughs> yeah, right. But like, I guess you know, if I knew the world was going to explode, and my plan is to send my baby out into space, and I have the means to do it, I guess I better tell my brother to do yeah. the same thing. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'd have that <laughs> foresight. It's like, yo, don't tell anybody, but. Don't go to school tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> On the subject of Supergirl, real quick, Burn actually notoriously did not want super people other than Superman to exist either. But he does reintroduce Supergirl in this Man of Steel story. And his reasoning, you know, was that the copyright should was nearing expiration. And he wanted to make sure that they renewed that. So he introduced Supergirl. I don't know if I believe that. But that's what Burns said. It's a very corporate take uh, on something. You know, I got I to help out the big business by making sure their IP is maintained. And when you watch the Today Show interview from 86, it's very clear that he does not like that character or any of those other Kryptonian characters. There are a lot of um, Supergirl characters floating around out there, too. There's Kara, then there's the Matrix, and then I think there's a third one, and maybe even another one that are just make no sense. And the chat mentions the multiple versions of Zod that were out there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Any other comments we want to get to? Are you ready for an announcement? I think we're ready for an announcement. Let's hit it. All right. So we have two big announcements we want to make. All right. So first is that obviously, you know, last or this month we've done Superman month and we changed things a little bit to make it so that anyone could sign up on our Patreon page completely for free and nominate a book. And the books that were most nominated, the four books most nominated would go into a poll over on patreon.com slash the comics pals. And then you guys voted, and that's how we ended up with Man of Steel. What we're doing differently this time is we're going to open the nomination process up to YouTube as well. So in the YouTube comment section, or community tab rather, we're going to put up a nomination post. And all you have to do is name the book for the next for next month's book club that you want us to do. And between Patreon and YouTube, whichever book has the, whichever four books have the most nominations, will make the poll. And then the winner of the poll will be the book that represents next month's book club. As for the book, as for how we are determining the book, it is going to be green month around these parts. Any character, any character that's green. Where the, the a story where the primary character is green or the antagonist, those are books that are eligible. So we're casting a wide net. We're talking Green Lantern. We're talking Swamp Thing. We're talking, you know, uh, Green Goblin, Incredible Hulk. Give me What's three that? more. Okay. DC, DC's uh, green team. Scorpion. Good one. 
Poison Ivy. Okay. And Sauron. Oh, nice. Good one. X-Men Green is a book that was on uh, the digital formats. Hermit the Frog? Oh, do the Muppets count? Oh, man, my special interest. There's a comic. We got to do it. There we is made a, a promise. Very good one out there. Roger Landridge Muppet Show comic. So I just want to reiterate nomination process on Patreon and YouTube, whichever one you are activated on, that's where you just cast your nomination for a book in which the primary character or their antagonist or whatever is green. We're going to take all those nominations, figure out which four books got the most noms and then put them into the crucible that is our patreon poll the winner of that will be the subject of next month's book club we already have people picking one yep (laughs) so what are we seeing and we've already got votes for it future imperfect Uh, i've never read it it's a yeah for me dude i remember that freaking um that freaking uh is that from the imperfects game is that based on that same no thing? it's based on uh, it's the maestro hulk oh okay yeah. okay okay do you remember that game the rise of the imperfects was that like a marvel mortal, fighting game mortal combat type thing where they had like those random made for the game characters in it yes yes yeah. dude yes there's one guy he had like yellow acid i remember something like that it was a disaster yeah PSP, uh, PS everything, yeah. I'm sure Xbox, all that jazz. Uh, Half of Spidey's rogues are green. Hey, listen, if you guys want to do sins of sins of future past or sin- sins of whatever the hell that shit's called, we could do that. The Gwen Stacy Green Goblin book. I'm with Whoa. it. I'll stand on this hot take right now. Since since past, I think that's that's one. I love that book. Yep. Oh, love Same. it. Yep. Same. Stand on it right now. Challenge Sean, me. Sean and I will fight back to back on that hill. Absolutely. I've never read it, so I can't say. Uh, question. So like, so so, what if it's like, what are the semantics here? What if somebody says, oh, I want you to read Warren Ellis' Thunderbolts because Green Goblin's the main part of it. Is that something we'll be like, all right, well, we'll, we'll see. It's valid. Yeah. That's that's a legitimate Green. answer. He's the primary character. Absolutely. Ooh, some Immortal Hulk in there. Immortal Hulk. I would love to do Immortal Hulk. Thank you. All 50? 50 issues. That is insanely <laughs> long. I, I'll fuck. I, I, I'll do that. I read it once. We'll before. have to. We'll have to close the poll tomorrow. <laughs> so we, we have to just start started. reading now. Like, yeah, just, yeah. just in case. I have a. I have a good twelve hours of flying. I'd be nice to know beforehand. <laughs> Dan, Dan, trying to give me the Swamp Thing W. Come on, baby, give it to me. Ninja Turtles. Interesting. I didn't even think about that as an option. Okay. Yep. So we're going to leave it to you guys to determine that. We can't wait to see what choices you make. The the nomination uh, uh, thread is already up on Patreon. So if you are on our Patreon page for free, you, you can be a free member. You do not have to pay us a single cent in order to nominate a book for this month's book club. Head on over to the Patreon page, make an account, nominate. Wait a little bit longer. We'll get the one for YouTube up. Nominate. And in a few days, we will announce the winner. Also, before we cut out of here, the next times we will be live with you are this Thursday for Pals Pulls 
And this Saturday, we will be interviewing the writer of Blade, the writer of Ultimate Black Panther. We are going to be talking to Brian Edward Hill. Hotly anticipated, been dying to get him back on the podcast. It's been a long time. We've got a lot to talk about. You're not going to want to miss out. And we're going to be giving away a volume one of one of Brian's books. So if you want to be the winner of one of our giveaways, make sure you tune in live with us. And of course, to accept your prize, just send us a message on Discord or Twitter, and uh, we'll get that over to you. We're going to go ahead, Kale. We could do Common Rider. He's green. If enough people nom. Yo, I'm about to look up copycat email software. You do that. We're going to head out of here. We'll see you on Thursday. Until then, take care, guys. See you next month.